Your news, your views, your values. This is WMNF Tampa 88.5 FM. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show here on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11 we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today we are talking with Dr. Catherine Clements, an ecology and natural resource educator through UF-IFAS, Extension Sarasota County, and today's topic is invasive species. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. And the wonderful Kenny Coogan. <laughs> and, of course, we, not of course, but we're excited to have Greg answering your calls and Mr. Bill Grace working the board. We're grateful to them. That's what we are. <laughs> yes, we are. So we're going to be talking about invasive species, so stay tuned as we promote a balance of people, profit, and planet. Yes. Uh, so uh, this is Annie talking. And uh, the invasive species, you know, threaten our Florida wildlife crops, natural areas, and even people. I just saw uh, them cut open a boa constrictor recently, and it had a five-foot alligator in it. It's amazing the amount that they can do, uh, the damage they can do. The cost to control just... um, just invasive plants in Florida's natural areas and waterways alone runs 30 million annually. And invasive animals from Burmese pythons to cane toads to iguanas impact Florida's unique and precious ecosystems. We're learning about these species and their impacts and uh, how you can help uh, with uh, Catherine Clements. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to speak with y'all today. Yeah, we're excited to hear. Uh, so I'm interested. Uh, actually, I looked uh, you up, and and you're you're uh, formerly a, a homeopathic doctor. Is that what your background was? Yes, actually, my uh, undergraduate background is in environmental science, uh-huh. and then I had a little foray into the world of being a naturopathic physician, which Very, is a little bit different than homeopathy, yeah, but, but it's a lot like what Dr. Harvey just talked yeah, about. Yeah, I love, uh, I'm all about that, so that's, uh, I love that, that you have done that in the past, and uh, so we're grateful that you've shifted into this because this is such an important factor. Uh, I was wondering, uh, how did you get interested in, uh, in this field? Well, as I just mentioned, it was my undergrad focus originally, and I think it blends everything that I've always cared about together really nicely. So even when we're talking about human health, the health of our ecosystems is incredibly important. Um, So much research has shown that spending time in nature is really impactful and absolutely necessary to our human health and impacts our blood pressure, our blood sugar, and all sorts of things, including our immune system in a positive way. So this is just a blend of keeping not only our ecosystems healthy, but in doing that, also helping to keep humanity healthy. Very good point. Very good point. I know that I always feel uh, ill if I don't go outside a little bit during the day. I'm so affected. So I know that a lot of people are like that, or they don't even know that they are until they get out in it and how much better they feel. Um, So what is uh, an invasive species? 
if you can enlighten yeah, us. Yeah, great question. So invasive species, the definition of what makes a species invasive is that they are in an area that they were not previously in geographically. And here in Florida, uh, we consider that if you were a native species, you would have been here for thousands of years prior to Europeans coming to the shores of Florida. Mm -hmm. And so an invasive species is something that's been introduced either accidentally or intentionally by humans into a geographic area in more recent times. And not only that, it's also causing either ecological harm or economic harm or harm to human health. So it's got to be all three of those things. Uh, to make it really classified as an invasive species. There's plenty of species here in Florida that are considered not native, meaning they've been introduced here, but they aren't causing harm to the ecosystems, our economics, or human health. And so they, they are not so much a focus of the problem. Oh, that makes sense. I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, there's a, probably a lot of invasive species of, of, of all plants and animals, but unless it's hindering uh, the natives, then it doesn't really matter that much. That's a very good point. Um, so, uh, you know, I was thinking about what you, when you were talking about that, how uh, most of these invasive species uh, that we're focused on so much now are introduced uh, from people dumping their pets, uh, like the, the giant snail, the, the boa constrictor, uh, the lionfish. Uh, is that uh, something that's rather common in the invasive species line? Yes, and it's true of both animals, many of the animals you just mentioned, as well as plants. So if I just talk a little bit more about the background of that, um, part of how invasive species get into Florida is through intentional or sometimes accidental release of either pets or even plants. And this can be often through um, some of our really important trades like the aquarium trade or the nursery trade. And sometimes things just sort of get out. It's not always an intentional release or sometimes what's happening, especially with exotic pets, is that people get a pet when it's young, when it's cute, when it doesn't cost a lot to feed it or take care of it. And then as that pet grows or gets older and you know, some of our some of our reptiles can outlive us humans. Right. So sometimes then people are releasing pets that they just can't keep anymore or don't want to keep anymore. So there's a variety of ways things are introduced. And it's not just all through pets or the nursery trade. It also is is just accidental introductions. Things are carried in on ballast waters of ships or um, brought in uh, by people who have traveled and think something, a plant is really beautiful and want to bring it to their yard here in Florida and don't realize the unintended consequences of that. So, so many different ways that different species get introduced into Florida that weren't originally here. I've noticed too that uh, when you're now that you're talking about invasive plants, that uh, they're still uh, selling invasive plants in uh, big box stores and such. And I don't understand how that is even legal. That just seems so controversial uh, to the intent of. Uh, deeming it uh, invasive, and then they still sell it there. 
Yes, and actually there are there is a list in our Florida statutes um, that is determined by our Florida Department of Agricultural and Consumer Sciences, and it's called the noxious weed list. And there are plants that are actually prohibited to be sold or even transported here in the state of Florida. Uh, but, you know, as you can imagine, it is costly and requires resources, including a lot of time and personnel in order to regulate some yes, of that. Yes. So that may be part of um, how things fall through the cracks. But then there's also a number of invasive species that have been considered invasive by different agencies and organizations that aren't legally prohibited from oh, use or sale. Oh, I mm -hmm. see. So mm -hmm. the for instance, the Mexican petunia, that's not legally prohibited, I would imagine. Otherwise they could not grow that and sell that. But it is correct. I don't species. believe that one is actually on the noxious weed list. Oh. And there are cultivars that have been yes. created, I believe by University of Florida that are that They're were sterile. thought to be yeah. yeah, that were thought to be sterile. And I don't know a lot of details about that, but yeah. you can imagine the amount of confusion that that could create. I think so, Is it too. the sterile variety or not? Exactly. And then I think that unless somebody's bragging on it that it is a sterile variety, it's not. <laughs> you know? So to me, it's like, why even do it if it's, if it's going to be, I, if you're going to see it and know that that's a problem, then that's a lot easier. Kenny? So, Catherine, uh, everyone has heard about the Burmese python and its impacts in the Everglades. Can you give us just one species that we're concerned about here in Central Florida? I want you to list a whole bunch, but I want to do a deep dive for each of them. So okay. can you just start with uh, what's one uh, probably animal species that's giving us trouble here in Central Florida? Oh, all right. So oh, that's a bad <laughs> sigh. It sounds just, just start from the top of your list. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So um it's so hard. Look, I can't even just give you one. Like which one's um, your favorite child? <laughs> <laughs> so some of the big ones and and there's going to be a lot of geographic variety. So some of these invasive animals have just uh established populations in small geographic areas. So when you say Central Florida, that's also a little hard um, for me to give you a direct answer. So I, I'm going to name a few and then we can talk more about whichever ones you want to. Um, so for instance, I believe it's in Hillsborough County. So I'm down here in Sarasota County, so I can tell you a lot more about Sarasota County. But I believe in Hillsborough County, we have um, established populations of, I believe, black and white, Argentine black and white tegus. Um, oh. I know that cane toads are an issue, not here in Sarasota County, but in some of our surrounding counties. So those are two big ones that are concerning. I also know down in Charlotte County, I just came back from a North American conference on invasive species. And someone from, oh, maybe it wasn't Charlotte, sorry. I'm not doing well in my geography this morning. Okay, um, but it was in Cape Coral. So uh, I believe that's a little further south than Charlotte County. But in Cape Coral, there is a population of Nile monitors. So, oh. and Nile monitors are large, large invasive lizards that um, are also found in South Florida and they utilize canal systems. And so there's how Cape Coral was built, of course, is a lot of canals to provide people waterfront housing. So we're basically in some situations creating the perfect habitat for when some of these animals do get released um, to 
thrive and prosper in the wild. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple really big ones like cane toads, yeah. black and white tegus, and Nile monitors. None of those sound good. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Thailand many years ago and Nile monitors are native there. And I saw six, seven foot long monitor lizards just sunbathing on the streets and the canals. Oh, on so, the streets? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. In uh, like Bangkok. So, uh, like pretty uh, casual. Yeah. <laughs> well, wow. they're so big, they don't have to worry about too many things. Yeah. <laughs> so, Catherine, can you tell us about uh, the tegus, which are like three to, like around a three foot long uh, monitor lizard, and then those huge Nile monitors? So, what um, are they doing to our ecosystem? Yeah, so that's, that is really the crux of why we're having this conversation. If they weren't doing some damage to our ecosystem or those other two categories I mentioned, economics or human health, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation. If they could just coexist and leave our ecosystems in balance, maybe it would be fine. But really the issue is the damage they are causing to our ecosystems. And we are very proud of our ecosystems here in Florida. Just think about the Everglades and how important that is. And we can talk more about the python if you want, but let's talk about those lizards first. So um, some of the issues with pretty much many of the invasive lizards, whether we're talking tegus or Nile monitors or here in Sarasota County, we have black and white, sorry, not black, white, black spiny tailed iguanas. So that's a type of iguana different from a green iguana. Um, but further south, we have green iguanas too. So all of those lizards cause damage to our environment by eating things that we don't want them to eat. They might be, the green iguanas eat a lot of uh, plant material. Oh. The other, um, the tegus and the spiny tailed iguana, they're going to eat a lot of things like eggs. So think about our gopher tortoises, which are a listed species and just so iconic of Florida. Think about our Florida scrub jays, really an iconic bird here in Florida that is a listed species. And it's what we call endemic, meaning Florida scrub jays don't live anywhere else except very certain scrub environments here in Florida. And so if we lose those Florida scrub jays in Florida, we lose them completely from oh, our earth. And so these lizards will climb into trees, they will climb into the gopher tortoise burrows, and they will eat the eggs of some of our listed species as well as many other native species. They also might be eating, um, depending on the size of the lizard, like a Nile monitor, they might also be eating some of our mammals, some of what we call our mesopredators or middle-sized mammals, uh, like raccoons and rabbits and uh, possums, things like that. Oh, that breaks my heart. What are we doing I about know. it? What are we doing about it? And, and before you say what we do about it, okay. I, um, I did read that one proposal is that if you are if you got grandfather clawsed in and you already have a pet tegu or an iguana that you have to tag them or microchip them, but I don't know how that's going to help yeah. <laughs> the problem. So, Catherine, what what do we do about um, all these invasive reptiles or those ones? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so there's a lot I can say about that, actually, and pretty much I'm just speaking for FWC, our Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, because they are the ones that manage both our endangered or listed animals, as well as wildlife in the state, including these invasive um, wildlife, like our lizards that we're talking about. So let me talk, talk a little bit about what they are doing to address this issue. 
Um, one really interesting program they have that is unique, no other state as far as I know does this, is the Exotic Pet Amnesty Program. And this is an amazing program where a pet owner of any type of exotic animal, whether it's a lizard or not, but certainly the lizards, if they no longer want to care for this animal or no longer can care for this animal, the exotic, exotic pet amnesty program provides legal am, amnesty and for the most part, free adoption of their pet. So the FWC acts as sort of a, a resource link between the pet owner who wants to surrender their pet and adopters that have been approved to be able to take care of these pets and have the right um, registrations or permits through the FWC to have some of these exotic animals. And basically the pet owner continues to care for their pet until they are um, given a list of adopters. They get to interview those adopters and they get to choose the adopter that will then take their pet. And in the meantime, the pet owner has legal amnesty, meaning if they have a pet they shouldn't have, no questions are asked. They have a pet that um, they're supposed to have tagged, but they haven't tagged yet, no questions are asked. They actually get a letter stating legal amnesty to hold and continue to care for that pet until an adopter is found. So that's best case win-win scenario for everyone. The pet is safe and is gonna go somewhere where it's wanted and cared for legally. The owner is able to surrender the pet and have it cared for instead of giving up and releasing the pet out into the wild, which is how, as we've talked about, some of these introductions happen. So that is a great program and people can just contact the FWC either online or through an email in order to find out more about that program. That's just one way. You want me to tell you some other I things? I want to ask a question about that before we move <laughs> on. Um, so, uh, you know, we didn't know about that. So how does the public know about that? You know, you knew about it. I didn't know about it. Okay. We and me and the squirrel in my pocket. So, uh, so anyway, I was thinking, how do people know about that? Like, do, where do these I'll tell you how I know. Okay. Tell me, Ken. I saw Zoo Miami. Okay. They were hosting an event. And and that's, it was, and it was all over social that. media, and then I saw videos of people. Th this is a little different than what Catherine was talking about, but back in the day, like five years ago, okay. I saw a line of 100 people holding Burmese pythons, a 100-pound potbelly pig, iguanas, and they were kind of in a line, and then the FWC was at the head of it, signing people in, and then they were rehoming it. So I saw it oh. on social media. Oh, my goodness. So there was 100 people there with their snakes and pigs and so on, yeah. trying to give them Exotic up. parrots, everything. Well, to me, and that's great. And I guess when you're in that knowing line, you would know that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, though, like, if, where do they buy their food? Like at pet stores and that sort of stuff? I mean, shouldn't they, wouldn't they have a poster or something like that that would give them that information? Because otherwise, they would not know. And I'm wondering also, well, I was thinking about, uh, aren't there a lot of illegal uh, growers of these animals, too? Uh, so, Catherine, how do people find out, yes. uh, other than social media? Yeah, because I didn't see it. Yeah, and that's, that's a great question, because it doesn't do us any good if people don't know about yes. these programs. So, uh, I do know what Kenny's talking about is the events that FWC used to do prior to COVID, where they would go around the state 
and they would have a number of events throughout the year where they would actually um, publicize and help to rehome some of these exotic animals. Of course, because of COVID, those got limited. So I'm not sure if they're planning on bringing some of those back, but I do know that they are trying to do a lot more educational outreach. I know when I do my educational outreach about invasive species, I always talk about the pet amnesty program. Mm -hmm. And I can talk a little bit more either now or later about how you can learn more directly um, from our Sarasota County Extension about invasive species. And we always publicize that program. So it's really a concerted effort because this is such a huge problem and we have lots of problems in our world. So how do we get people to know about it. It's also an interagency problem. It's an across the borders problem. Like invasive species do not care what agency you're from, what borders they are, whether they're city, county, state, or even country borders, invasive species can cross those borders. So we all really need to work together and get the word out in a variety of different ways. Hence why I'm doing the radio show. I appreciate that you've invited because now all your listeners might know about this pet amnesty program when they maybe never heard of it before. And even if we get one or two pets safe and happy and well taken care of, instead of being released out into the wild, all the better for the pet and our environment. Mm -hmm. We'll have a link on our social media page, just by the way, when, when we set that up on our blog. I want, to, Thank you. I want to remind listeners that this is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Dr. Catherine Clements, an ecology and natural resource educator through UFIFIS. We're talking about invasive species. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. And now we have a message from our board operator, Mr. Bill Grace. Well, there you are just sitting out there in Radio Land enjoying the Sustainable Living Show and wondering how can you show your support. Just go to our website, WMNF.org, and click on the tip jar at the top of the screen. Be sure to direct your donation to SUL for Sustainable Living. And just let me say, supporting Sustainable Living in WMNF Tampa will be the most rewarding thing that you can do with your clothes on. <laughs> So, Catherine, we were talking about uh, lizards, but I want to move into uh, probably one of the most famous uh, invasive amphibians, the cane toad, which are native to South America. So can you tell us what uh, listeners should know about cane toads and, or marine toads? Certainly. And this is one of the ones that often makes its way onto the news because it is concerning, especially for some of our um, family members, like our dogs, for instance. So cane toads are a much larger toad than any of our native toads. So once they're adults, they can be, um, I think of them as sort of like a large pancake size, because sometimes they even flatten their bodies down and they look a little pancake-like with eyes and bumps on it. Um, but our cane toads- <laughs> Not what I'm um, gonna also eat. <laughs> <laughs> I made them sound I made them sound nice and yeah, they're not nice. <laughs> <laughs> Our cane toads have uh, these glands that are on the sides of, sides of their heads that are full of this viscous liquid that does have some toxicity to it. And so unfortunately, if we have a dog that comes in contact uh, with a cane toad, 
it can make the dog very ill or for some of our smaller dogs, it actually can be fatal. So that's why you often see them on the news. Of course, cane toads are also a problem, not just for our animals, but just also in general for our environment uh, because they are such a large toad. They are eating more than our native toads. So they're competing with our native toads. Uh, so, so they are a problem. Here in Sarasota County, we've only had a few observations of cane toads, and I'm not even sure how many of those were actually confirmed. So we don't really have a big problem here with them locally in Sarasota. Uh, we do have problems with them in some of our urban areas up around Tampa, mm -hmm. but we really want to do something called EDRR, which is Early Detection Rapid Response. So it is really important. I do get phone calls monthly about people here in Sarasota County that are concerned they have found a cane toad. And so it is really important to reach out if you think you have found something that might be a cane toad or any of these other invasive species so that experts can identify them and we can determine whether or not they're starting to move into areas that they weren't normally or they haven't been recently, let me say that, um, and also potentially to address and um, respond to that detection. So um, you can call something called the I've Got One hotline and that number is 1-888-I've-GOT-ONE, like you've got an invasive species. You can also report them online by just doing a search for I've Got One. It'll take you to a website where you can do an online report. And you can also report them online through the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. It all goes, all that information goes to the same place. There's even an app you can download on your phone if you think you want to be doing this a lot. Hopefully you're not coming in contact with that many invasive species. But by reporting them, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission can determine whether or not they should respond and come out and try to make an identification or deal with that invasive species. And we also continue to gather research and learn more about these and where we need to address them. Because we do not want cane toads in the areas they already are in. We certainly don't want them moving into other areas. You know, um, I've also found yeah. that uh, when uh, the uh online a lot of times people are posting these toads and un um authorized people are saying yes that's a cane toad kill it now you know and so a lot of our regular native uh, toads are being killed uh, because of the ignorance of, uh, you know, mass media. And so uh, I think that that's a wonderful point that you make that, you know, don't kill it. Uh, take a picture, uh, trap it, do whatever you can, and then call the authorities and then move from that direction instead of just doing a knee-jerk reaction. And because I see them all the time, people are uh, misidentifying our, our actual uh, native toads. Yeah. So we have. I a, would agree. Yeah. So Catherine, yep. we have a couple of calls. The first one we'll take is John uh, from Bradenton, and he has a question about invasive species. Hi, John. Hey, how you doing? Great. We're doing great. Years ago, years ago in Boca Grande, they uh, they took bids on trappers. Are they still doing that to uh, catch the lizards or no? That's a great question, John. Thank you. So, uh, Catherine. In, um, I know that people have little contests with the Burmese pythons, but can you tell us, are, is the government paying people to trap other invasive animals? That's a great question. 
That is a great question. I'm not sure I know enough of the details to answer that fully. I do know here in Sarasota County that the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission does send people out uh, to trap some of the black spiny tailed iguanas, which is the iguana we have the biggest issue with here in this county. Uh, so I'm not sure what the status is down in Boca Grande, which I believe is more the green iguana territory. There's a lot mm. of those down there. Yes. Uh, so there them. is, mm -hmm. yes, there, there are certainly, there are um, programs in place to manage the invasive species that need the most management because of course we can't manage all of them. Right. So that's the other really difficult part. Just think about how many invasive species are potentially here. Um, you know, a huge percentage of our plants are invasive species. Yes. And then we have more invasive reptiles than more invasive lizards than we do native lizards. Mm -hmm. Let's say. So um, there are programs in place. Like our right. frogs. So Catherine, we got a couple more calls and a couple of emails. So the next uh, caller we'll take is Tom. Hi, Tom. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Uh, stole my thunder a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to say, uh, as, as a, uh, a native St. Petersburger, um, I grew up with the chameleons and those uh, invasive uh, Cuban uh, lizards have just yes. uh, eradicated. I, don't, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a chameleon around here. Um, and uh, uh, my question, though, is uh, I'm, I'm not playing devil's advocate, but I do find it a useful tool to uh, uh, do the process of elimination. And uh, my, my question is, have you ever heard of an invasive species that ended up being beneficial? That's a great yeah. question. Yeah, that's question interesting. Here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. That is a great question, Tom. Thank you very much. So I hate, I almost hate to talk about that because it is a little <laughs> yeah. counterintuitive to how much damage most of the invasive species do. But I do have an example, and I think it's a great question because we have to look at all sides of the story. So uh, you may know a little bit about our apple snails. So that is definitely an issue here in Sarasota County, as well as a lot of Southern and Central Florida. So mm -hmm. we have a number of native apple snails uh, they live more in aquatic environments, like here in Sarasota County. We would think about Mayaka River State Park, for instance, a absolutely beautiful natural area where native apple snails used to live. Now, the majority of apple snails I see are an invasive species of apple snail that is huge. It's sort of like um, the frog, the Cuban tree frog and the cane toad. They're much bigger than the native species. But, and they, they compete with the native species for food. They reproduce faster and more than the native species. So in many ways, these invasive apple snails are really detrimental. They eat a lot of the aquatic vegetation. So they're really detrimental to the native species in our environment. Yet, <laughs> what we have seen is that the birds that were eating our native apple snails, like limpkins here in Sarasota County, as well as um, the endangered snail kite, actually have adapted to eat the larger invasive apple snails. Wow. And we're seeing a little rebound in population in those species of birds because the invasive snail is bigger and more prolific. And so there's more of a food source. Now, that's just a snapshot in time because we also don't know what happens 
you know, of course, it makes sense that when there's more food available, the thing that's eating more food is going to do better. But then what other imbalances might that cause? So it's just a snapshot saying if there might be a little bit of positive benefit in that particular scenario, but we don't really know in the long game and the end game if that's really positive. And certainly I could give you that's like one of the very few examples I can think of of a positive benefit of an invasive species. And I can probably think of thousands of negative impacts. Right. All right. So we have uh, another caller. We have Sharon from Palmetto. Hi, Sharon. Hey, Sharon. Hi, Hi Sharon. I have you on speaker. So I have a long history as a native enthusiast and um, uh, environmentalist who uh, say over 20 years in the area. Good for you. And what I found was difficult is um, both uh, getting people to understand the concept of invasive and how things travel. You know, how a Mexican petunia that's in their yard ends up in Mayanka Park by way of butterflies or bees and pollen or how the fruit from this, you know, coconut or this chevlera ends up in, you know, causing that tree to grow. Their concept of invasive is in me. I don't see this in my next door neighbor's yard or that sort of thing. And so consequently, I find it very difficult to get them to take action. And the great example is, is, is killing Cuban tree frogs. Uh, this concept, oh, it's my yard and I'm a Buddhist and I kill nothing. And so, you know, I'm an environmentalist, but I won't kill it. And in fact, I'll use this picture of it to promote myself as being very much so in tune with nature. And I'll treat your arguments about the fact that this creature should be killed uh, to deal with the fact that it's, you know, upsetting the balance as if it's negativity. So the question is two part. One, how do you get people to understand invasive means an impact beyond what they're able to see? And also, um, how do you get them to actually take the actions that are necessary when those actions, like you need to rip out all your Mexican petunia, are detrimental to what they're trying to put forth? All right. Those are great questions. Thank you, Sharon. Yep. So those are great questions. Thank you. Okay. So... So I'm going to just start by saying, you know, I'm biased because I'm an educator. So I think education is everything. So people um, often don't understand the breadth and width of this problem. This is a huge problem in Florida, especially because Florida is just such a paradise um, for everyone, including these invasive species, whether we're talking plants or animals. Um, so really educating people that there is an issue, what the issue is about, just like we're talking about today. Um, hopefully people that are listening have already learned something they didn't know, even if they know about invasive species. So just educating people, giving people the resources. And if we have time, I can share some more resources um, so that people understand and can start making better decisions. And so that's the other part is solutions. We can't just talk about a problem. Well, we can, but that's that's sort of the negative side of like, oh, there's a problem, blah, blah, blah. It can be very overwhelming. Certainly this problem can be. So we have to provide solutions for people. So some of the solutions, we've already talked about the pet amnesty program. We've talked about the I've got one, which is an opportunity to report invasive species 
species that you've seen so that um, other people who are experts can identify and then determine the appropriate response. But you can also make changes in your yard. So you brought up the Mexican petunia, for instance, and people not understanding that their backyard sort of transition. Uh oh. Backyard or the preserve or natural area that you are backing up against. So um, this is a whole nother topic and perhaps Kenny has had somebody on his show to talk about this already, but UF has a whole Florida friendly landscaping program. Yes. There's tons of information available about plants and other decisions you can make to provide um, native habitat in your Oh, Catherine, we're losing we're, you. We're losing you, Catherine. You're in and out. Is there, have you moved from the different room? Oh, my goodness. I think she signed off and signed back. So That's okay. We have had people on uh, that do uh, speak about invasive species, and it is something that people can uh, reach out to uh, and find out what is, but I have found that you cannot make a person do anything. <laughs> so, so we have several emails, and we'll just wait a second for Catherine to get back on, yes. but first of all, I will read our accolades. Okay. We have one from... Uh, uh, cherry, and they say, great program, saw this iguana, and there's a picture of an iguana, in my yard a couple of months ago and was surprised as I didn't think of these as being on the West Coast. And then they also saw a heron in their neighbor's yard across from them eating an armored catfish, which are invasive a couple of years ago. Did so, they say that where they were calling from or writing from? They did not. Okay, but, um, West Coast, so that must be yeah. uh, the... Uh, it could be us. Clearwater. Oh, well, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah, west coast of the bay. Yeah, yeah. so um, I was also talking about, we weren't talking about it, but we mentioned that chameleons are invasive, and they were in, like, Pinellas, but now they're over to Orlando, yeah. all up in, they used to be more south, and now they're just kind of yeah, slowly they're, they're creeping coming up. up. It's just like the coyotes. I mean, they're not invasive, but they're coming. You know, the other thing I was thinking about, Kenny, too, was, uh, you know, those uh, the giant snails that they... Uh, isolated them over in Pinellas County at this guy's house. And they, they like, marked off the area. And they were working on that. And recently, somebody else uh, posted one on the uh, social media page, and it was identified, actually, by Paul's Moda, uh, that it was the uh, giant snail. But see, people don't know that when they're little. See, they're little. It's yeah, the same thing with those to giant toads. They, they're, when they're small, they don't understand. So they, uh, you know, just write it off as just normal, even though it is very abnormal, and they don't call anybody, so it can't, it continues to spread. Yeah. All right, so. Catherine, are you back? I'm back. I'm so Her, sorry. I no, lost my internet. Not oh, a I problem. Love world We're glad you're back. back. We have a, a couple of emails for you, and uh, John wants to know, are there efforts, are efforts to eliminate the pythons making any progress in the Everglades? Great question. There are definitely efforts that are happening. Yes. There is some progress being made, but uh, that was a huge focus of the North American Invasive Species Conference that I just was at uh, two weeks ago. There were a lot of presentations on pythons and efforts um, towards removing them. Of course, the FWC hosts the python hunt. You can learn how to become a python hunter to help remove pythons. But pythons have less than a 1% detection rate in the wild. 
And so they are very secretive, even though they are huge and you think they would be easy to see, they are well camouflaged. They travel through aquatic environments that are difficult for us humans to traverse easily. Um, it's hard to find their nests. And so, yes, we're making progress. Are we making the progress we wish we could make? No, probably not. Are we going to be able to eradicate pythons from Florida at this point? Probably not. So when we think we are beyond the eradication stage, we still want to try to maintain and control their population as much as possible to continue to limit the amount of impact they have to our native animals and our ecosystems. How many eggs? So it's do not they a lay? success story, but we're trying. How many eggs do they lay? I, it's a huge amount, isn't it? Like yes, a like female python on average can have 100 eggs and it can be less. It wow. can even be a little bit more. But on average, 100 eggs in their clutch, they actually protect their eggs. Mm. So I don't know if you've seen some of the recent mm -hmm. um, video that's been out. We actually finally have video confirmation from a trail camera of a bobcat that found a python nest and started eating the eggs. Good. And so, yeah, I know. Great um, circle of life and uh, good that that limits the amount of python eggs. But the female python came back <gasps> and protected her nest from that bobcat. So it's really interesting to watch the video. This is all like frontline research. We are just at our infancy and in understanding how pythons are living and acting here in Florida what might actually be a predator to them because we really don't have predators to them except maybe to their eggs and young, but fascinating. Very yes. good. In a couple of weeks in December, we're going to have the croc docs on from UF. Yes. So they're going to be talking about uh, crocodiles and alligators, and then they're going to talk a little bit about how they're interacting with the Burmese pythons. Um, so right, and they're part of the frontline research on Burmese pythons and make sure you ask them about a parasite that's contained in the python because they're oh. doing the research on that. And there is a parasite, the pythons carry that are now infecting our native snakes. Oh. So, you know, this whole invasive species issue isn't always just about the, you know, the big ugly snake that's eating so much of our Everglades. It's also about the fact that it brought in with it a parasite that our native snakes have no immunity against. Oh, so it's just so fascinating, um, you know, scientifically fascinating, but also very sad. All right, we have several more uh, emails and a couple of phone calls. John wants to know, he's been noticing that he said crocs are getting more common down in the Keys. Why? Are they trying to get away from the pythons or something else happening? So I'm not too sure if you can answer that, but we will say that the American crocodile is native and it's uh, federally designated as threatened. So they're not invasive, but they might be avoiding the invasive pythons. So what do you think, Catherine? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not quite sure how to answer that. I guess we we, have we can ask the croc docs in a couple of weeks. Well, that's that question. True. <laughs> Make you sure can. we put that on our list. So uh, Peggy from Belize says, and Belize, when a dog eats a cane toad, people pour lots of lime juice into the dog to make them vomit. It has saved many dogs. Um, that's oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I haven't heard of that. Certainly, if. Uh, if your dog has grabbed a cane toad, you want to get it out of its mouth right away because the toxic, um, that viscous toxin will be excreted from the glands into the mouth of the dog. And then generally what we recommend is that right away you call a vet or an emergency vet, but you also start wiping out your dog's mouth with a damp rag because the that substance is really sticky. Yeah. And so it's you can't just rinse it out with water. 
Um, so I don't know about the lime juice, but possibly it'd be a good thing to ask a vet and get, mm-hmm. uh, get some information yeah. on that. All right, so I have a question and then two emails, and they all go together. So okay. we, we are very close to Cuba, historically, millions of years thinking in that, in that uh, geological time span. You can imagine a hurricane is going to bring over some uh, night anoles, some brown anoles, um, some tree frogs. So that's my point. And then Larry in Lakeland says, aren't invasive uh, species part of the evolutionary process? Things change, new species develop as old species fade into history. And then a third person wants to ask, are dogs and cats also considered invasive species. So cats what, are the, so what do you think, me, Catherine? Talking to oh my gosh, that's a lot right there. <laughs> yeah, that is. Because like <laughs> Okay, so I'm ready. I'm up for the challenge. Okay, so for like the Cuba one or or an island that's very close to right. Florida or you know, you can imagine little animals are on a little raft. Well yeah, and also and they're shipping, gonna colonize the shipping too. I I know people are bad, but <laughs> So, so really, we want to go back to our definition of invasive species that we started out with. So part of that definition is um, unintentional or intentional introduction by humans. So if a hurricane brings a species over, that's, that's not the same thing. There's also a situation that we call naturalized, and this would be your armadillos, like how many of us have seen armadillos or even coyotes. So we can talk about both armadillos and coyotes. We don't consider them invasive, but they were not historically in Florida, but they went through this process where they traveled here on their own. For instance, with coyotes, when we as humans extirpated the red wolf from the state of Florida, there was no longer competition for coyotes and they were able to move into Florida. And then with armadillos, they moved in um, over years from Texas. And so we don't consider those two animals invasive because they got here on their own and they started to breed on their own. Mm -hmm. When things are brought in by like a, a natural force, like a hurricane, Sometimes there's not enough of the species to actually survive. Oh, that so makes that's part of it. Yeah, exactly. Like you might get a few things here, um, but if they can't breed or they don't survive well here, they're mm-hmm. going to die off. It's really that intentional or unintentional introduction by humans and then the ability to survive and establish a population of that species that is also causing some type of harm. So like all of that goes together into the perfect storm to create an invasive species. Um, So what do you think about dogs and cats in the U.S.? You know, I haven't ever really thought about that. Certainly we have an issue with feral cats. I I wouldn't call them invasive. Not just feral cats. The neighbors let their cats out. That's a yeah. And that does um, potentially cause some harm to our birds and, uh, you know, but I don't know. I don't really consider them invasive, but I don't really have well, enough information to answer they're, that one. They're actually uh, the number one killer of the songbirds in the U.S. So uh, they are an invasive species as according to, um, you know, documentation, but it's it's uh, our our animals we've done it <laughs> my neighbors yeah, eat my birds all the time <laughs> like exactly we've domesticated mm. wild versions of those yes. animals that yes. then potentially are causing some ecosystem we still damage. have some calls going on yes here, we so. do oh, oh my gosh thank, thank you for being patient hi clay 
Greetings and salutations to you. Hi, Clay. I said greetings and salutations to you. It's a great show, and uh, enjoy your guests and all our knowledge. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about plant species, uh, invasive plant species, but first I'd like to point out, you know, one of the biggest things that the pythons are limiting in the Everglades are the key deer. They're mm. about the size of a dog, and they've been decimated by the yeah. pythons. Um, and the chameleon, I... I heard someone say the chameleon is an invasive species. I, I've grown up, you know, I'm 67 years old, and I've seen chameleons my entire life. So when did they become an invasive species? I mean, they've been here a long time. We're talking about little green things that can change colors, right? Yes, but not in a knoll. Chameleons are a little different. Catherine, can you tell us? A knoll is what you have been seeing, probably. Yeah, I think people often think of anoles as chameleons. So anoles are the little lizards that run around. They're all in your yard, probably running around on your, you know, your decks and your potted plants and things like that. And they used to be bright emerald green. Yeah, so the, the native ones are bright emerald green, which might be the ones that you're thinking of as chameleons in our previous caller okay, mentioned. And we don't see those very often because the Cuban brown anoles right. are the ones we see now and they have outcompeted including um have actually they actually eat our native green anoles so yes. i think that's what you guys are talking about yes okay so i i have the green anoles uh, plentiful in, in my place same all the time good yay yay so they're surviving so uh let's move on to uh, oh and the one thing you said about the coyotes uh moving into florida when the red wolf was limited uh, is a someone who's been paying attention for a long time to nature down here in Florida, I would and have argued with biologists from the uh, FWC that uh, the red wolf began to breed with the coyotes. They didn't really go away. They just uh, became uh, a, oh, a mixed breed. What's that? They became a mixed breed. Yes, it, it is. Interesting. And you can see a lot of the characteristics of a red wolf in coyotes. If you ever get a chance to see a coyote. I mean, there are some DNA studies about that that you can take a look at. So I, I'll leave that for a, a different time. But there are some DNA studies because they have looked at that specific question. We're getting Go low ahead. on time. So, yeah, uh, Clay, if you had... Let me get to my plant thing real, real quick. quick. So, red Brazilian pepper. Yes. These are melaleuca and camphor. Now, I, I hear that... I know the red Brazilian... The, Species and the punk trees are things that uh, really need to be eliminated because they're horrid to our environment. But what about the camphor tree? And are there? Uh, and why don't we have a mandate for people to take out Brazilian red peppers and punk trees or maluca? Okay, great question. I'll try to answer that quickly. So. Um, I, I know Brazilian pepper tree is one of our prohibited trees. I believe Malaluca is, and I know camphor. I was just on the Florida Statuettes before this show, and I know they have proposed for camphor to be added. I'm not sure if it was okay. or not, um, but it is, um, it is prohibited to have some of those, to purchase them or sell them or to transport them, because when you transport them, obviously they can move um, and grow, but... We can't, it's hard to mandate the removal of those. Some of those trees are very difficult. Brazilian pepper tree, you can't just cut it down. When you cut it down, you actually create a worse problem because 20 suckers mm -hmm. will grow from the right. base stump that you just cut down. So all of these require specific types of removal. Some of them are going to require chemical treatments. 
in order to actually um, remove them and kill them appropriately. And not the average person doesn't always have the resources or the knowledge to do that. So we love it if we can assist people to do that, if people are interested in doing that, and we can provide the appropriate education and knowledge and tools for that, that's great. But it's hard to mandate something like that. Very good. Because we're asking people one to thing, do something. One thing is about the Brazilian pepper, the bees love it and the honey is spicy. And we're mm -hmm. almost, go ahead, we have another call. Is that what we're going to do? Yes. Okay. All right. Hi, Bernie. Hi, how you doing? Great. Good, we only have three minutes, so if you could ask your question quickly, that'd be great. Uh, I ain't got a question. I just want to let you all know something. I moved from Detroit 40 years ago. I got two great crackers now, but I miss Florida how it used to be. St. Augustine and the other grass, that's got to go. Biggest two problems in Florida. All right. Thank you, Bernie. So we're going to, uh, yes. So we're going to kind of end with that. So um, Catherine, can you tell us how can people, what are some ways that people can get Florida to back from the colon before the colonizers? How can we get more natural? How can we be in a solution? Uh, Is that what yeah. How yeah. can we get those native animals and plants back? How can we promote yeah. that? Yeah, so how can we keep Florida, Florida, like the unique and beautiful and biodiverse ecosystems that we all love here and that people travel here to see? It's part of our economy that people come here mm -hmm. to see our wildlife and our unique biodiversity. So how do we keep that? Well, educate yourselves. So I've already talked about a few opportunities. Um, go to the University of Florida IFAS's website and look up Florida-friendly landscaping, look up invasive species, learn more and share that information with others. Plant native and Florida-friendly plants in your yard. We have a Sarasota County Extension invasive species webpage, and we have recorded over 10 hours of webinars on invasive species. And I have tons of resources there um, that are links to all these different things that I've talked about today. So if you just search Sarasota County Extension Invasive Species, you'll find my webpage and all of that information. You're always um, welcome to reach out to me or to your local extension office for more information. And don't forget to look for native plant nurseries and to report your invasive species through I've Got One or contacting the FWC. Yes. That's a lot, but all of those things, even if you do one of them, makes a difference. We can each be part of the solution. Thank you. Wonderful. That'll be on our WMNF.org uh, blog post, and then it'll also be on our Sustainable Living Facebook page. We want to thank Dr. Catherine Clements, an ecology and natural resource educator through UF IFSU or very knowledgeable, and we appreciate Great, yes. it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so if you enjoyed the show and our weekly content, please go to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar, and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Stay tuned. The next hour, you'll hear WMNF's Tampa's Monday Music with Flea. If you want to hear more public interest programming, switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, The Source, and listen to today's Tom Hartman Show Live. Make sure to tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show. We'll have Michael Whitehead from the Bureau of Indian affairs. Follow our Facebook page Sustainable Living WMNF to stay in the loop. Also listen to our past shows uh, on Listen in Demand. I'm Annie Ellis. And I'm Kenny Coogan. Remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye. Bye-bye.